How are you guys doing? You guys doing good? Good to see you guys. I missed y'all. Um, I was sick last week. Um, we were supposed to start our sermon series last Sunday, and literally the the day before I just get hit, I'm like, oh gosh, um, what are we going to do? And uh, if you're here last Sunday, my wife stepped in literally the night before, had no prep, and just, just brought a word that was just so so timely and so, so grateful for her. Um, but let's jump right in, just because of time. Uh, I want to start with a scripture in 2 Corinthians uh, 3.18. And it says this, it says, So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect. Can you say see and say reflect? The glory of the Lord and the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. This is a beautiful, beautiful passage. What Paul is saying here is that as we see Jesus, meaning to know who he is rightly, we actually become transformed like him, and it's from that place that we reflect his glory to the world around us. That as image bears, you are literally walking, talking, breathing representations of who Jesus is everywhere you go. Right? We are literally called the body of Jesus. We're literally called the physical representation of Jesus on the earth. And I don't know about you, but that's a very high level responsibility to entrust to someone. Right? Let me give you an example. Uh, if I was to uh, have a job interview, okay, but I couldn't make it and I need someone to go in my place. Let's say um, you over there with the, the black beanie. What's your name? Cole? Have we met before? Uh, no, we We've never met before, okay? Let's say I was, I was gonna say, hey, Cole, I have a job interview and I need you to go in my place. I really need to get this job. I gotta feed my kids, so this is, this is on you, bro. All right, you better not butcher this thing. You gotta represent me well, right? How do you think that's gonna go? Right, big thumbs down. Probably not that great. Not because anything's wrong with Cole, but he just doesn't know me. Right? He doesn't know the details of my life. He doesn't know how I treat my wife. He doesn't know my rhythms and my habits and my weaknesses and my strengths. He doesn't know the intricate details of my life. And because of that, right, Cole can't accurately represent me or reflect me to someone else. Now, my wife, on the other hand, she knows me personally. She knows me intimately. She sees me in the day-to-day. She knows how I treat people, my disciplines, what I like, what I dislike. She knows how I actually live my life. And because she knows the details of my life, she can actually reflect me well. And so understanding this and going back to Paul in 2 Corinthians 3, when we see Jesus when we know him and the details of his life, the Holy Spirit can actually start to transform us to become more like his image. And from that place, we can mirror or reflect his glory, glory clearly to the world around us. And so this is what we are going after in this series. We're starting a series today called A Jesus People. Come on, who's excited for that? A Jesus People. But if we're going to reflect Jesus to the world around us, then we're going to need to see the details of his life. What what made Jesus' life so powerful? What was it about the way that Jesus lived that turned the world upside down? 
And so as we step into becoming more missional as a church, if you haven't been here, this is our, our focus this year. For the past two years, we have hammered the presence. We've, we've, we've stewarded that vision and that mission so well. And we feel that this is a season where the Lord's like, you've, you've focused on the first and greatest commandment. Now it's time to focus on the second, right? Which is to love your neighbor as yourself. And so as a church, if this is what we're gonna step into, if this is who we're gonna become, What's the way to do that? And I was, I was wrestling as, as I was, you know, preparing for uh, a new series. I was like, God, what, what, what do I need to teach on? What, where do you want to take us as a church so that we can become more missional? You know, I was like, maybe we need, we need to do a sermon series on evangelism or sharing your faith or, 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 or reaching the lost. I was, I was trying to think of all these things and the Lord made it very simple for me. I said, Andrew, if you want to reflect me, you have to become like me. So we're going to go into the overflow of what it looks like to be missional, but it all starts at this core. If we're going to reflect him, we have to become like him. We have to understand what made Jesus's life, Jesus's life, right? This is, this is the type of people that we're going to become, amen? So I want to start here. This is going to be kind of the the intro to this whole series. But I'll start with this question. I want you to think about this. Where did Jesus's life flow out of? Let me think about that. Where did Jesus's life flow out of? From what place did Jesus launch the most radical ministry to touch the earth? What allowed him to walk in his purpose so confidently? What allowed him to have peace in the middle of a raging storm? What allowed him to overflow in compassion? What allowed him to have incredible boldness? What allowed him to endure immense rejection, yet be unwavering? You can't just slap, oh, well, he was God. <laughs> just sign that off. Well, he is also human. And in Jesus' humanity, he actually reveals to us how we're meant to live. So where did Jesus' life flow out of? I would say it was the fact that Jesus was rooted in his identity with the Father. That if you were to look at the life of Jesus through the lens of the Gospels, the most defining thing about Jesus' life was his relationship with the Father. Right, Jesus said things like, I and the Father are one. I only do what I see the Father doing. If you see me, you see the Father. Right, I am about my Father's business. This is what Jesus' life and ministry and being flowed from. I don't know if you guys know this, but in the Old Testament, God is referred to Father only 15 times. <clears throat> The Old Testament makes up 75% of your Bible, just so you know. Do you know how many times Jesus refers to God as Father? Just in the Gospels, not even the whole New Testament, just in the Gospels, 165 times. 75% of your Bible in the Old Testament before Jesus' arrival, there's only 15 mentions of God as Father. That, that was the, the limitation of their revelation of who God was. 
And when Jesus steps onto the scene, he says, when you see me, you see what God is actually like. That the revelation of who God actually is, is Father. 165 times. Wouldn't you think this is important to Jesus, yeah? Right, this shows us how important Jesus' relationship with the Father was and his identity as a son. So what is identity? <laughs> Let's start there. What is identity? Identity can be defined as where you find your self-worth or sense of self. Identity is where you find your self-worth or sense of self. That society today wants to tell you that you need to find your identity in all these things, that you have to work for it, that you have to maintain it, that you have to self-define who you are. And this way of living, guys, will always leave you empty. Because whether it's your job, your relationships, or even your sexuality, at some point you'll realize that these things can't fully satisfy you. And you'll always be searching for who you are. Look at the world. This is why so many people struggle with their identity. Because they're trying to create an image of themselves that they think others will affirm so that they can find a semblance of self-worth. Well, I, I, I need to find my identity, so I need to create an identity that will help me find a semblance of self-worth. Because who I am now isn't good enough. It's, it's not satisfying. I'm not finding worth in who I am now, so I have to change who I am. Right? And I'm not just talking about your gender. Even just how you dress, <laughs> Well, maybe if I dress this way, then I'll fit in with this group of people and I'll find worth because I, I, want, I want to feel valuable by these group of people. <laughs> Here's the crazy thing. I love what Tim Keller says. He says this, I want you to listen. Identity is not achieved, it's received. Oh, that's a bar. Good old Tim. Identity is not something you can achieve. Doesn't matter how hard you try. Doesn't matter how many commas you have in your bank account. Doesn't matter if you get your dream job. You may for a moment feel a taste of worth. But who you are, your your core identity is not something that you can achieve. It's something that you receive. That John 1, 12 to 13 says this. Yet to all who did receive him, say receive, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent or of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. Look to your neighbor and say, you are born of God. That John tells us that through faith in Christ, you have received the right, the inheritance of your real identity, which is to be a child of God. Tim Keller, he says this profound thing. He says, what kind of identity do you need? You need the approval and esteem of someone you esteem if you're going to have any self-esteem. 
So to know the Lord of the universe loves you, that will give you the most powerful basis for a stable identity. Let that sink in. Your identity is not achieved. The very source in which you find your worth and sense of self is not earned by your striving. It's simply received. That Jesus on the cross died to restore humanity to its original identity. This is the good news that there's no more searching. There's no more looking for external affirmation that you can feel stable and secure in who the Father sees you as. I don't know about you, but that's some pretty, pretty good news. The searching's over. The self-defining's over. <laughs> the, the, the striving to perform, to keep up your value is over. Because as John tells us, those who received him and believed in him, you're given the right to become children of God. Let's go to Matthew 3, 13 to 17. I'm gonna read the story of Jesus' baptism. It says here in verse 13, then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan, to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. In verse 16, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. This is a key verse, verse 17. And a voice from heaven said, this is the Father, this is my Son, whom I loved. With him I am well pleased. Guys, Jesus has been alive for 30 years up until this point. 30 years of his life at this point, and it wasn't until after this moment that Jesus actually starts his ministry. That before this moment, there's no preaching, no healing, no miracles. Yet before Jesus does anything for the Father, what does the Father say? This is my son, who I love. With him, I'm well pleased. That is as profound as it gets. That before Jesus did anything for the Father, the Father spoke identity over his son. And Jesus was so secure in his identity with his father that his ministry can now be released. And I know this may seem like a simple revelation, but I need you to get this. Because this is literally the basis of your faith. This is why this is sermon number one. This is where we start. Everything else we're gonna teach on is built on this fact that I know people who are anointed and gifted yet struggle with this truth. And if you don't get this established, you will build your life on a faulty foundation. That the Father in Matthew 3 affirms, confirms, and speaks the identity of Jesus over him and tells him exactly how he sees him. And again, 
Jesus doesn't do any ministry up until this point. Yet the father sees him as his own son and he loves him and he's already pleased with him. Jesus is in essence receiving his identity from his father. You know, in all of my, my ministry journey, if I can identify one thing that is the core of so many issues and problems that we counsel is father brokenness. Of all the things that we've had to counsel, the pain, the rejection, the habits, the things that I've had to walk through, almost for every person you can trace, there's some kind of father brokenness. Because there is, there is a unique authority given to the role of an earthly father. A very significant role. For a lot of you in this room, you didn't have a father. Your father left. Maybe your father hurt you. Maybe your father was there, but he wasn't really there. And the thing is, guys, that we, we were never meant to find our core identity from our earthly father. When you hear this, it doesn't matter if you have the most amazing father, father on the earth. Some of you have incredible fathers. It doesn't matter how amazing your father is and, and how much they do right. Your earthly father cannot give you the depth of your true identity like Father God can. But the role of an earthly father, I want you to hear this. If you're a father in the room, if you're gonna be a father one day, the role of an earthly father is to pave the way. Their role is to pave the way to create a context for identity for the children where they can feel safe, where they can feel known, where they can feel loved, where they can feel seen. And in that context, they pave a way that when they encounter God, oh, it's so easy. When they meet God, this thing isn't scary for them. This thing doesn't make them run the other way. And this is what happens for a lot of us is because our earthly father did the opposite. They rejected us, they hurt us. They weren't there for us emotionally or they weren't there for us physically. They spoke things over us. What happens is the path that they paved is a lot more rocky. There's weeds. There's things you gotta climb over, right? They, they actually made the path more difficult. And so as you're walking this path, the path that your father is meant to pave for you to know your identity you're actually afraid of discovering your identity. Because that path, all you know is pain, rejection. I'm never enough. I, I, I have to earn my way to be right with my dad. And this path becomes a path you don't want to walk. So what happens when a pastor looks at you and says, you're a son. Father loves you and he's pleased with you. You can't walk that path because it's hard and it's uncomfortable. But this is the path, the only path that you can find your real self. 
this is the beautiful thing about the gospel. There's so much that Jesus did for you on the cross that I think we're still gonna unpack it for all of eternity. But there's this beautiful dynamic. If you read John, Jesus prays this prayer and he looks to the Father. He says, Father, would you make them one just as you and I are one? That they may know the love that we had at the beginning. That's crazy. What's Jesus saying? God, the intimacy and relationship that we have, I want them to be a part of it. I want them to be able to experience it and know it. And that's exactly what he does. Because if you've received Christ, you're a new creation. But not only that, you're now in Christ. (laughs) So, when we look at Matthew 3.17, if you're in Christ, then what the Father says about his son, he says the same thing over you. Receive these words. You are my son. You are my daughter, whom I love. And with you, I'm well pleased. Brennan Manning, he says, define yourself radically as beloved by God. This is the true self. Every other identity is an illusion. Jesus was so rooted in the fact that he was a son of a father who loved him, that this is where he found his source of safety, confidence, empowerment, and worth. I love this, that when Jesus needed to recharge and be refreshed after the weight of ministry, do you know where he went? Let's say it out loud. He went to the Father. Right, it says in scripture that Jesus would often go away into lowly places. He would go early in the morning. He would go away to pray and be with the Father. Think about this. I, I want you to, to stay with me. That he would often go away to pray and be with his Father Because the identity of a child isn't meant to be burdensome. Only the identity of a servant is. But the identity of a child is actually supposed to be where you're released from your burdens. That in your moments of pressure, stress, and weight, where you go, listen, reveals where you're trying to find your worth and satisfaction. Not a lot of amens for that. In your moments of pressure and stress and weight, where you go reveals where you're trying to find your worth and satisfaction. Oh, I just need to go to my girlfriend. Oh, I just need to go to my boyfriend. Oh, I just need to go to food. Oh, I I need to go to my phone. I need to go on social media. You're trying to find satisfaction. And what this reveals is you don't know that your son, that your daughter. That right after Jesus' identity is affirmed, 
There's one more thing that happens before he announces the arrival of his kingdom. If you know the story in Matthew 4, after Jesus has this baptism, it says that he's led into the wilderness by the spirit and he's tempted by the enemy. Matthew 4, 3, this is one of the things that the enemy says to Jesus. The tempter came to him and said, if, say if, you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, if you are the enemy and you're going to tempt the son of God, you would probably tempt him with your most powerful tactic, right? The enemy didn't try to tempt him with things like drugs or women or alcohol. So what was his most powerful tactic? What he tried to tempt Jesus with, listen, was whether or not Jesus was secure in his identity. If you are the son of God, then prove it. If you are a daughter of God, then prove it. Why this is significant is because if the enemy can cause you to doubt your identity, then he's already won the battle. That everything that you do and think flows from this place of whether you find security as a son and a daughter or if you find security in your own ability. Guys, if Jesus' identity was tempted, don't think that the enemy isn't going to do the same to you. That he tells you things like this. If you are a son or a daughter of God, then you shouldn't have done that sin. If you are a son or daughter of God, then you should be reading your Bible more. You should be doing more. You should be evangelizing more. That whenever your identity is being tested, it's not God. God doesn't test your identity. He knows your identity. And the way the enemy keeps you, listen, the way the enemy keeps you from staying in and then rooted in your identity is making you believe the lie that you have to maintain and achieve your right to be a son or daughter. If he can make you believe the lie that you have to attain and maintain your standing as a son or a daughter, then he'll get you out of your identity. Because the truth about your identity is you don't have to maintain it. Because it's not achieved, it's received. Going back to John 1.12. Yet to all, say all, who did receive, say receive. Who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right, say right, to become, say become, children of God. This is why what Jesus came to do is so powerful is that he defeats the hold of sin on your life and he gives you the exact tool to overcome it, a new identity. Did you know that my son, August, was just, as much, was just as much my son when he was one day old than when he's four? Do you know that he'll be just as much my son when he's four than when he'll be 24? Do you know that August is just as much my son when he messes up and breaks something than when he's cuddling on my lap? Why? Because once a son, always a son. That his right as a son cannot be revoked. Some of y'all need to hear that. That's a word. 
that your right as a son and a daughter cannot be revoked. That his position as a son will never change because my position as his father will never change. So let me translate this. You are as much of a son and a daughter when you read your Bible than when you fall into your porn struggle. That makes some of you really uncomfortable. <laughs> Let me say that again so you'll be more uncomfortable. <laughs> that you are just as much of a son and a daughter, listen, when you read your Bible than when you fall into your porn struggle. Now the key is you just don't believe it in that moment. Why? Again, because your identity isn't achieved, it's given. Which means because you couldn't earn it, it's not your responsibility to maintain it. That your identity is given on the basis of you putting your faith in Jesus, taking your sin on the cross and raising from the dead, offering you new life. And because God's position as father will never change, your position as a son and a daughter will never change. I'm gonna read Psalm 51. You guys wanna go there? Psalm 51. We're almost done. Psalm 51 is this passage where King David, who here loves King David? Well, this isn't a good moment for King David. So King David is having a conversation with God right after he committed murder and adultery with Bathsheba. And this is his conversation. This is what he tells God. I want you to listen. Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach your transgressors your way so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I will bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, listen, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you'll delight in the sacrifices of the righteous and the burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Do you see David's response? Right after he committed adultery. What was his response? It was repentance. What was his response? 
He took ownership for his mistakes. What was his response? He was seeking forgiveness. What was his response? He didn't hide from God. He didn't blame God. He didn't blame his problems and other people. He came in this humility and this weakness. And he says, God, you don't, you're not pleased by burnt offerings, but you're pleased with a heart that's broken. Think about that. God, God is actually pleased with you when you come to him with your brokenness, guys. When you come to him in your weakness. Now, you want to hear something even crazier about David. After hearing this whole conversation, do you know what God says about David in 1 Samuel? God says that David was a man who was after my heart. This guy was a murderer. He committed adultery. He, he did all this stuff. Well, God says, well, he was a man after my own heart. In Acts, it says that David fulfilled all of God's purposes in his generation. How did God see David? What, what allowed, listen, what allowed God to say that about David, even though we read David's biography and you're like, ah, this dude's messed up. Yet God says, this is, this is not a messed up person. This is a man who's after my own heart. Do you know why? Because he knew his standing with God. He didn't run away and say, God, you don't want me anymore. I'm just gonna go do my own thing now because I've, I've gone too far. I've, I've messed up too much. Some of you believe that you've, you're too disqualified because you've done too much and God's just gonna cast you out. David had confidence in his relationship with God even in the midst of his sin and his mistake. And God said that pleased him. That pleased God. And I was meditating on this scripture. The Lord said this thing to me. Immediately he spoke. He said, Andrew, the standard isn't perfection, it's connection. The standard of a son and a daughter isn't perfection, it's connection. Let me prove this to you. The story of the prodigal son, we're not going to go there. But you know the story of the prodigal son, the son says, Father, give me my inheritance, which essentially translates into that culture, drop dead, give me my money right? This is what he says. He goes, he leaves, he squanders it, he loses all of his money on prostitutes, and he's sleeping with pigs. He's literally eating pig food, which if you don't know, it's not really good. And he's finding himself in this place where he's literally in rock bottom, and he has the realization, wait, if I can at least just be a servant, a slave in my father's house, life will be better than this. Life will be better than what my mistakes have paid for me. So what he does is he prepares this speech to, to become a servant. He prepares this speech, hoping his father would accept him as a servant. And as he goes home, it says that the father sees him from a long way off and the father starts running, starts sprinting. And he goes and the son says, Father, I've sinned before you. And before he can even finish his speech, the father embraces him. The father puts clean clothes, a robe over him. The father puts shoes on his finger. The father puts the ring on his finger, which represents you're my son. Now, where was the repentance in the story when you think about this? Where was the repentance? The father wasn't, okay, son, you know, you gotta, work, you gotta earn your keep. 
Got to work for me for five years and prove to me you're not going to mess up again. Did he do that? No. The repentance in the prodigal was the moment he started heading home. It wasn't in the speech. It was the fact that he was heading home that the father saw him coming back and that was the repentance. The father doesn't have a standard of perfection over you, but he has a standard of connection. And this is what made David a man after God's own heart is David never lost connection with God. Even when he disobeyed and sinned and failed horribly, he still chose connection. Romans 8, 4, 14 to 17, end here. says this, for those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. Can you say that? The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. Now, if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Guys, that this is the place that we discover our identity, our sense of self, our sense of self-worth. It's that God is our Abba. That this is the most intimate form of calling someone a father. It's like saying Papa. And this is how God wants you to relate to him. Not as a son or a daughter who stands at a distance. You know, I had a friend growing up whose parents were in the military and he only referred to his parents as ma'am and sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. I think a lot of us, we have that dynamic with God the Father. Yes, sir, I won't mess up. Yes, sir, I'll do what you say. But that's the identity of a servant, not a son. Abba, Father. And again, the Father says, because you're in Christ, the same thing he said over Jesus, he says over you, that you're his son, you're his, his daughter, you're his beloved with whom he is pleased. That you no longer have to be a slave to self-hatred. You no longer have to be a slave to shame or insecurity or listen to this. You don't have to be a slave to fear of punishment. So many of you, when you mess up, you're afraid of punishment. Jesus took your punishment on the cross. You're now a son. When you mess up, do you know what you do? You run to your father. And if you are a child of God, as it says in Romans, you are co-heirs with Christ. You have equal access to your father. This means you have full access. I love this quote Tim Keller says, well, the only person who dares to wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child, and we have that kind of access. And so to close this up, every single person in this room, there's areas of your identity that you're not finding it in the Father. There's aspects of your identity that you still are trying to perform and strive and achieve. This is a, a really good litmus test to know 
if you're operating in your identity or out of identity, are you striving? Are you striving when you're leading? Are, are, you, are you striving when you're ministering? Are you striving when you're just trying to, trying to spend time with God? Are you striving to feel at peace? That the inheritance of a son and a daughter is that they can rest. And I love my son, August. Whenever I'm sitting on the couch, he just jumps on my lap. He's sprawled out. His legs are just everywhere, you know. Got his, his hand like this, leaning on me. He's fully dependent because he knows that he's safe with his father. What would it look like for you to live from that place? To live in that picture of peace and rest and dependency that says, it doesn't matter what people say about me. Guys, I've been slandered so much in my life just for being a pastor and having a spirit-filled church in a Baptist city. <laughs> I, I've, I've been told I've been a cult leader and like the wildest stuff. Like it's just like, it's, it's insane. But those things don't get at me because I don't find my identity in what people say about me. If you find your identity in what people say about you, then your stability is dependent on what they say. Whether they like you today or don't like you, whether they gossip about you or tell the truth about you, it doesn't matter because your identity isn't in their words. It's in his words, right? It's in what the father says. What is the father's definition over you? That's what you need to ask yourself. What is the Father? Everyone just close your eyes. Father God, what is your definition over me? How do you define me? How do you see me? Would you show me, God, my true self? Lord, I've been wandering and I've been striving and I've been performing and I've been achieving and I need you to bring peace and rest. And would you reveal my identity as a son and a daughter right now in Jesus' name. That sons don't have to slave. Sons and daughters don't have to prove who they are. They don't have to prove their place in the father's house. In the story of the prodigal son, the older son, he's, he's angry because his brother squandered all these things and he was angry at the father showed so much grace to him. And he said to the father, Father, I've been a servant.